I'm gonna suggest we get going. Yeah. Yeah, it's fair enough. Yeah, so I I, I got some apple crumble with my name on it downstairs. So. Hello and welcome to this episode of Foxes Never Quit Talking. I am your host, H2. I am joined by our co-host, Madlock. Hiya! And our special guest this week is Discord forum legend, Lenny! Hello, Lenny. How are you doing? Hello. Thank you for having me on. So this week, we've got quite a lot to talk about. We've got you know, new vice captains. We've got contract extensions. got all sorts there. We've got... Unfortunately, a match to review, which um, we're going to try and minimise the pain for. We're going to talk a little bit about Brendan Rodgers' future of the club, but only a little bit because I fear it's something we could end up talking about a lot, and if we talk about it a lot now, it's just going to become the Brendan Rodgers In or Out podcast. If you don't want, we're going to go over some other news from our other teams, the women's team and the under-21 team. There is a game against Stockport we've got to address. And then we will be looking forward at the Chelsea match next weekend. So let's start off with uh, our happiest news. We named our vice-captain this week. It is Mark Albrighton. What do we think of that decision? We all love Sharky. I, I'm glad to see him do it. He, I, I think I said this in uh, a couple podcasts ago. When he comes on the pitch where he doesn't do, you know, he's not got any flair or anything like that, he is he's always been a lift to the team when he comes on we always play better um, our work rate goes up his work rate alone lifts the team and i think he's definitely got the experience and yeah I, i'm more than happy to see him be vice captain i know a few people are suggesting madison i still think he's too young i think he's got the material dewsbury hall definitely has the makings but i think rogers will probably keep them in the leadership group but for now it was that. I think the only other person I could think of was possibly Tielemans, but with all the things and question and that, I, yeah, anyways, I'm glad it's Michael Brighton. I think with him and Evans, we've got two very experienced captains who will be in the outfield and really be able to provide that leadership that, well, we'll cover that off later, but we're going to, we're really going to start needing. I'm quite glad as well. I mean, he's obviously a lesser legend and probably the best fit for the role. Mine, it's being vice captain is an honorary role, given that, especially given that Sharky won't feature too much this season. And as for the other poten- potential candidates for the role, I still think there's chances for the likes of Madison and Dewsbury Hall to wear the armband in cup games or anything of the like, where neither of Johnny or um, Sharky should start. Yeah. So he's got a bit of an honour roll with us. He joined with us in 2014, uh, just after our promotion to the Premier League. He didn't play for us in the Championship and um, made his debut in in that season. He's Obviously, he won the Premier League with us. He's won the FA Cup with us. He's won the Community Shield with us. And, of course, the very prestigious Corundon Cup with us. Um, racked up a total... Most importantly. <laughs> yeah. Racked up a total of 284 appearances and 18 goals for us, including our first ever Champions League goal. And I think he's got more nicknames than anyone else in the team. Yes, God bless Vardy and his uh, penchant for providing nicknames for people. <laughs> yeah, I'm not entirely sure where the Sharky nickname came from. Uh, it's actually... Um, I think oh, God. It's, oh, oh, yeah, it's, it's owing to the statue of his um, nose. 
Is yes, okay. it's very much his profile that uh, yeah. uh, yeah. that is uh, inspired the, the the name, and also um, Kevin. I think that was quite an iconic moment, and I think it was a Sky production where he uh, obviously Vardy turned into an absolute child, which is partially why we all <laughs> like him, and just shouting <laughs> Kevin across the training ground. Yeah, yeah he just it... found out that um, Sharky's middle name was Kevin, so he just shouted it across the across the um, dome. Where they were yeah. doing media duties. Yeah, I do wonder if that was a there was a ref, that was also a reference to Home Alone as well. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah but he, he's always been, I think, one of those fantastic players. He's very versatile. Plays left wing and right wing and right wing back and right back. Um, I think yeah. actually for a Premier League winning season, he played a lot on the left back. On sorry, left wing, because he played every single game for us that season in the Premier League. He did, and like I, I, I think that just goes back to me saying when he's on the pitch, he makes a difference. And I think, yeah, yeah, him and someone like Evans, they have a presence, and it's yeah, it's it's going to be so important with a captain. You know, I think some people will say Vardy because of the things he does, but Vardy, his strengths are not um, being a captain. To be honest, yeah. I wouldn't want Vardy appealing yeah. to the ref. Um, I, I love the guy, but the man has resting bitch face and. <laughs> and has a has an energy about him, which is great for terrifying defenders, not great for appealing to I refs. Believe he has been suspended for yelling at a referee before, hasn't he? I, at least once, uh, yeah. At least once, yeah. He's been suspended at least once, and uh, probably more times before he reached the Premier League as well. Let's be fair. Um, speaking of Vardy, yeah. he's extended his contract to twenty twenty four. It's always, I mean, it was to be expected. I honestly still can't even though it's coming closer i still can't imagine a world in which leicester plays without jamie vardy um so it's nice to have him on board for at least another two years yeah yeah um making sure that if he does get poached by another club we can get a fee for him you know yeah <laughs> no i don't think yeah. he'll play for another premier league after club after us i could see him going and playing for is it rochester rhinos who he owns yeah, he might do, do it for MLS money or something. But even then, I think he'll genuinely retire with us, won't he? Yeah. At the same time, I can't imagine him like uprooting his family like that to move to the US. I probably play for Sheffield Wednesday if anything um, for Maybe, a year yeah. or two. Yeah, I think but... once he's the thing is, I can't see him realizing that he's not good enough for the Premier League anymore and being the sort of player to say, "If I can't play Premier League, I'm not playing." I think he's the sort of player who will carry on playing yeah. at his level, even once that level's not Premier League. Because some players, once they've once they've played Premier League, once they drop off from being able to play that level, it's like they can't play lower levels. I don't think Vardy's like that. I think he I think he just loves the game too much, to be honest. Yeah, Vardy's yeah. always put emphasis on that in his interviews, where he said back when he was um, playing for like Fleetwood Town or uh, Stocksbridge. Park steals that it was basically having a kickabout with his mates, and that he still has that sort of feeling at Leicester, and that's what he enjoys most about it. So it's just him having fun, really, more than him competing. Yeah, but there's also just a gravitas about Vardy. You just yeah. have him there, and people, the defenders are drawn to him, keepers mm -hmm. are terrified of him, you know. He inspires, you know, you were watching Haaland recently, and Haaland says, you know, the way that he plays, which is more of a classic number nine, not like the kind of number nines we get. Haaland based it, he, a lot of his gameplay and a lot of it. I mean, Haaland's runs actually remind me a lot of Vardy. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, 
Uh, he's able to time it. Vardy has some sort of magical ability to make his runs. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy that we'll continue seeing it till 2024. I think from a more of a club basis, he needs to start showing some of the the darker arts to Daka and Ianacho, but particularly as Daka's being lined up as his sort of like for like successor, and I can see it, but Daka's just too nice, but that's a whole other conversation, but Daka yeah. needs to learn some of the darker arts from Vardy, and I think Daka could very well be um, a successor to, to him, but we'll have to we wait and see, so. obviously. Yeah, we can only hope so. He's been, of all the strikers we've gotten, or brought in, he's been the only one that lets me go, actually... I could see it. He did phenomenally well for us, but notably, it was in Europe, which was you know a little less physical and a little less, yeah. um, uh, you know, brute force and ignorance sometimes. I mean, so, in fairness to Dakar, you you don't score twenty seven goals in twenty eight games. Never mind that it's the Austrian league. If you're not a quality striker, I mean, yeah, I mean, he now holds the record for us for most goals scored in a single game for Leicester City um, yeah, with four yeah. goals. So, I mean, yeah, he's, his ability is not without question, but now he's... And I and we had this without jumping ahead with, with Southampton, where I think, again, this goes back to our physicality and stuff, but he definitely got a bit bullied off the ball when he got came, came on. But like I said, with Vardy going to 2024, he'll be around long enough to really just provide that inspiration and hopefully give some skills and shithousery to Madison. Someone really will need to take the uh, crown or shithousery from Taras <laughs> once he's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I think Dewsbury Hall can be a proper shithouser. But, um, oh, yeah. Let's move on. Let's talk a little yeah. bit about um, Harvey Barnes. He's returned from his injury. We uh, were speculating last week he could be some while away, but he was fit to play 75 minutes. Um, oh, yeah. There's he... a lot to say about that, but he looked all right. We'll get on to that for the game. Fafana was left out of the squad. Uh, what do we make of this one? This is probably the biggest pre-match controversy that we'll uh, have to cover. Yeah, I mean, I'll just jump in on this one. Then, you know, with Fafana being left out, I think it was the right call. I think Rogers. I know there's a lot of um, you know angst about him at the minute, but Rogers really made the right call on that, just like he did back when we had team members break the rule. And I think where that's where Rogers could be really strong. Um, and in this, I think that was just the right thing. I think. I think Fofana needs to come to terms that, you know, he signed a contract quite happily in March. You you know, this is the Premier League. We've had bigger, stronger players, and Merez comes to mind, who have tried to bully their way out, and we're just not that club, and we won't be that club, and I think we'll continue. So I think that's just the right way to handle it. Um, I know there's been a lot of social media stuff from Fofana, uh, you know, interactions, particularly on Twitter and Instagram, but yeah. Um, the only thing I really want to say is that during the match, obviously him not celebrating a goal was very disappointing. Um, even just some some excitement that uh, there was a score. I mean, we knew he was a bit mercenary given how he left his previous club, which I won't butcher the name of, but ironically was Puel's club that he's moved on after us. Um, yeah, I know. he. I think we kind of knew this. This is kind of more of a modern football thing. He's very ambitious, which we're not here to take away, but I think actually without jumping too much into it, he has his best chance of getting into the French team with us. I know, um, I can't put, I can't recall his name, the, but he got a red card. Chelsea uh, defender got a red card. Koulibaly. Koulibaly, thank you. And, you know, Koulibaly is very good, but the, the, the depth that Chelsea have, I mean, they shouldn't have the results they have, but that's a, another conversation for another podcast, I suspect. But, you know, he, he won't he won't be a shoo-in. And I think it's just about what you wish for, really. Lenny, yeah. do you want to add anything to that? 
if we are to believe what Brendan has said to the press, he did sit down with Fafana and have a talk, and apparently it was a joint decision of both him and Fafana to not include him in that matchday squad, um, which I can respect if Fafana can see that he's not 100% focused on uh, Leicester right now, which is understandable given he's 21 years old and there's one of the biggest clubs in world football um, wanting to buy him for a sum up to £85 million. So, yeah. Yeah, and even without that, just being in the middle of a media circus, it's going to be distracting. Yeah. Um, um, in fairness, if I was Chelsea or, for that matter, any other club interested in buying Fafana, I would be slightly worried seeing the sort of antics he's um, now becoming known for when wanting a move or being interested in a move because let's be honest if he went to Chelsea he'd do the same to them in maybe one year time two years time Chelsea are probably the kind of club who will say we'll be playing regular Champions League football at that point and he won't have to move on yeah, well, well be- you say that, given how their season started, that may not yeah, end yeah. with Spurs, the surge of Spurs and Arsenal. That may not yeah, be the case, but I, yeah, I, that will be the attitude Chelsea have about it. We're a big enough club for him. Yeah, and but also, you know, I think if he did that at Chelsea, Chelsea will just put him on the under twenty threes and put him into oblivion. You know, ask yeah, Danny yeah. Drinkwater, ask <laughs> several players who have gone, oh, I'm bigger than the club, and. You know, even with Lukaku, they resigned. You know, they bought him for what a hundred million? I can't yes. remember. But it was an astonishing, you know, astonishing amount of money, and then just didn't play him. You know, I wish we could. I could. I wish we could imagine Fathom buying some for a hundred million and then not playing them and you know running them into the ground. You know, like I was saying, Fofana, he's got to be careful what he wishes for here. I think he's still at twenty-one, still early doors and. You know, Chelsea don't let you all have a off game like we will. You you will have to perform every game, and if you don't, you will find yourself free frozen out. And I I don't know if he's if he by some weird chance he's listening. I I highly suggest he considers that, but mm. we'll see. Anyway, we have I think put it off long enough. Let's talk about that Southampton game from Saturday. Um, is this where we cue? sad music I... <laughs> um, I'll, I'll see if I can find a recording of someone playing a very small violin wah, wah, wah. that's that's a trombone <laughs> yeah <laughs> alright back in the room sorry but yeah no uh, with it just I listened so I listened to it on the radio I've watched mm-hmm. the highlights it's just deeply frustrating we we really i was comfortable i was so comfortable in the first half there was a bit of like frustration but i thought it eventually come i thought maybe it's just a bit of a wobble maybe it's just not coming off southampton to their credit were very organized and then they scored one nil now in the premier league when you go one down every team from the bottom to the top go full force at you and we yeah. cannot handle that and we've had it with brentford and now we've had it with southampton and it's just this heebie-jeebies, and I'm hoping without you know, again trying to jump ahead with Stockport, we just use it as a confidence builder. I mean, our preseason, we, we are scoring goals. Our problem is conceding, isn't it? Our preseason was great. We, apart from that first match, we won all of them. Some of them dominantly so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the thumping we gave whole city and stuff. I, you know, I do think that we'll we'll have the confidence to do it. But this, 
with the Barnes injury, I think we changed system. And I think that yeah. was partly it. And I know Rogers said that. I don't... That's definitely not 100% to blame. I do think Rogers isn't in a good place for one reason or another. I think he's got ambitions and he wants he wants more. And I think that's permeating to the team. I do think the team are coming. I am a bit curious about Evans. Um, so Evans has obviously said things like he's not worried to share his opinion and stuff. And I don't doubt that Evans could be a bit of a, a tough git when he wants to be. But I do wonder if that's putting more pressure on the team. I do think we're a team of people who need an arm around the shoulder, not um, someone throwing you know, their teacup in the, in the dressing room. And I'm wondering if that's happening maybe a bit too much, our frustration, and it's kind of a spiral. I, you know, if we're going at halftime yeah. and, yeah, we're looking for that goal and we get it and then we go, oh, cool, we can drop off. That's just, you can't do that in the Premier League. And that's partly on the manager. He, that shouldn't be the strategy, nor should it be what the players are doing. Casper did say um, in some interview some time ago that he's very different in his approaches to how he communicates with our own players. So, for example, with someone like Luke Thomas or the younger guys, he'd be a bit more, you know, respectful in a way and a bit more careful while with players like Amati or Evans or whoever else experienced it might be he, he'll he be a bit more rough yes he knows they can take it the older ones exactly I mean I you can I think Casper can get away with shouting what are you doing you lemon at Johnny Evans in a way that might kind of and you know Evans will go oh don't you call me that I'll show you I'm not whereas Luke Thomas might go ah, I'm a lemon me ah Maybe yeah. he's got not got that. Not by the way that I'd ever call Johnny Evans a lemon to his face. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. As as for the game itself, I feel like the reaction or the lack of reaction we saw against Southampton was a bit of like an overcompensation in what in a way to uh, what happened at Brentford. Like we we noticed. Okay, we scored a goal, and. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the team noticed, okay, we don't want the same happening to us as it did against Brentford, as it did against Arsenal. So they tried to go into the shell um, of just desperately not trying to concede and thereby surrender any sort of impetus that we had going forward. And just instead of taking that extra second on the ball to maybe find a pass forward or out of our own half and just smash the ball out, inviting even more pressure yeah and even then our passes seemed panicky and yeah it's definitely a mentality it really is it's not ability this team we know what this team can do and i think unfortunately brentford i think i think it was just a curse of the 2-0 i think there was a bit of overconfidence and brentford i mean we've seen them they're 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 bringing it and like i said you know earlier in the in the podcast you know Brentfords and the Fulhams and these sort of teams will will bring a lot of energy into their early games. They're not, you know, pro- recently promoted sides are just as dangerous as sides facing relegation at the tail end of the season. You know, they will come in with optimism and yeah. you know people proving a point. There's a lot of motivation there, and you know, and I think for us we just wasn't there. But this is something to do, and this is a good. This is a this is a crossroad. Without jumping to the Rogers thing, you know, this is a crossroad for Rogers to show mm-hmm. he isn't just someone who does three years, waits for it to bust, and then doesn't know how to handle it. He could be a chance for him to really hone in a managerial skill. You know, every good manager gets play. You know, gets teams through shit times, and this is a bit of a stormy period, and he needs yeah. to know how to navigate. And 
that's that's the real question and he's got to prove people and i think you know even i'm wavering on his support he's got to prove to us that at least showing it. i don't mind if we lose against chelsea united but i want to see some backbone i don't yeah. want to see us fall over you know um i think one of the key things from the radio that i heard was that people were just walking after the ball if i i would like to hear rogers and people on the pitch hurrying people up show some impetus show some some speed show that you you know care you know don't just start feeling sorry for yourself this isn't the league for that and if you think that it is then you're in the wrong league that's that's the one thing i've admired about brentford over the last year like just especially this season you've seen it twice already that they went down two goals against us and against fulham and both times they managed to come back and make it even at 2-2 only at fulham Mm. did they then go on to concede a third goal and lost the game but that's one thing i really miss with our current team i genuinely cannot remember the last time where we went down in the game conceded first and then went on to come back to win or even draw neither can i i know we did do it sometime last season i mean hell we were two nil down at Spartak Moscow before Dakar scored four goals, weren't we? Oh, true. Now you mention it, but yeah, that, that's that's was pretty that much a year time? ago. No, it I... was um, also another European game where we came back from behind against PSV. Oh uh, yes. Oh yeah. The Ricardo, the Ricardo goal. I mean, I, I I was running all over the shop. When that, that, <laughs> yeah. when that, I was, that was possibly the most exciting goal of that season. But we have done it. It's still there. I do also think, and this has been an annoyance of mine about Leicester for even before Rogers. We turn, we seem to turn up only when they're. And I put this in air quotes. Big teams. Yeah. The Man Cities, the Chelseas. Yeah. Yeah, I I seem to remember making comments before about, especially when we dropped out of the top five those two seasons in a row, saying, "Look, these are points we've dropped against teams we should have beat," and it's kind of it gets into double digits. And that yeah. makes a difference. Uh, shall we look at some the kind of more specific things in detail? Return of Barnes meant that we could change from a four, five four one into a four three three. That shape, I think, did seem to work for us, right? Yeah, and Barnes was like electric, especially in the first twenty to thirty minutes. He was running at the defenders, just yeah, forcing his way through, drawing fouls left and right. Um, it's just unlucky that the ball didn't really break in the box for us. Yeah. There were a few times. There were a few times I saw his runs and thought, if Southampton aren't careful here, they're going to concede a penalty because that's very much the sort of run that gets you fouled. Yeah. Um, but Southampton was smart enough not to fall for it. Unfortunately, Vardy was trying his best. <laughs> yeah. After getting booked for it last week, and yeah. um, Perez came in and offered something on the right as well. He didn't look entirely match fit, perhaps. But what do you think? It's a bit Perez can come on in a game and just change it. Like he's somehow got that ability, but every time, seemingly every time that we start him in the game, he doesn't necessarily shit the bed, but he just is a bit, you know, doesn't do too many things too badly, doesn't do too many things too greatly. Bit of a mixed bag. Like he yeah. lost he lost possession a couple of times but then went on to track back and Won, won the ball back by tackling which was great yeah. to see because that is something Rodgers will love to see from his players yeah given how good he is really good at tracking back and tackling and actually that press from the front is something Iheanacho is really good at as well yeah. given how much Rodgers like that I am often quite surprised that they don't play more 
Yeah. But then again, the question is, do you really want the main thing your right wing and your centre forwards do to be tracking back and making tackles? And you know, you well, know what yeah, I mean. Is I'd I'd rather like I'd rather have a right winger who does a bit less tracking back and a bit less tackling, but offers more going forward. I do think with Rogers though, he with wingers, he doesn't look for necessarily like technical wingers or he he likes directness and stuff so he wants he, he almost kind of wants the wingers to come inside and and the fullbacks running out or and i noticed this particularly with justin that justin was the kind of almost inverted wing backs yeah which would be quite interesting particularly since he obviously justin's more naturally right footed i know he can be left footed but obviously he's got the physicality and he can kind of come in which helps provide width and barnes i like his game because he obviously can be really direct which which adds an element that takes a lot of pressure off Vardy and off Madison a lot. It creates space for them as well. Yeah, he he will just go into then. Yeah, you yeah, you said absolutely. And I don't know. Um, for us, the right wing is just forever the problem. I would wish that we would just delve deep and buy someone like Noni Manduki. I I I probably butchered his name, so I apologize. Noni Madueke. Madueke, thank you very much, Lenny. Um, so, but Noni, who I will keep to the first names because I've, I've got no more questions. <laughs> but yeah, Noni, he he's a brilliant footballer. I mean, watching him when he when PSV came, I was there live. He was he was electric, and if he was to do that on our right side, and we had Barnes on our left side, we would have a formidable attacking front three, especially if this four three three four two three one kind of systems that we we get tend to lean uh, into i do feel going back to the formations that the diamond you know the four two two diamond or the four or the five four one however you want to call it it, it just it just isn't us yeah it just we just don't we just don't do it and it makes us too narrow and it just makes us easy to mark out and it ends up meaning we rely on wing backs for all our width and we you know the rogers rogers ball relies on two people on each flank you know who I actually yeah. miss on the flank as a bit of a sort of a side is all Brighton and Ricardo. What a pairing! Yeah, they, yeah. you know, all Brighton can just do anything along the touchline, and Ricardo is very confident about cutting in and can score. Very, yeah. very electric response on the right side. If we had Ricardo on the right with a sort of someone he can pair up with, well, like all Brighton, I think I can imagine he could do it with all of Perez. That gives us that big threat up that flank as well and then you've got threats up the middle and up each flank and the defense just can't cover that space no you, you do yeah you you would stretch their defense considerably yeah it's part of the trouble we have when we were playing without wingers was that the defense um for the other team can compress very narrowly and we can't exploit the space they're leaving on the flanks yeah. and even with just the one winger they can still kind of compress a bit less and we're not really doing much to exploit the space on the right. I think partly because Perez isn't the fastest, so by the time he's sort of moved with the ball, the defence can track over. I mean, you can get away with playing just wing-backs and no like recognised wingers. Um, Chelsea do it, but that's because they've got wing-backs of the highest quality who are very, very, very good going forward in Reese James and Chilwell and now Cucurella, who they bought for a pretty penny. I think it's just that five four one or whatever you might want to call it. It's just, it's just not the one for us. 
no, it's just not. I, 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 I want to go back, and this is where we were dominant, where we were more of a 4-1-4-1 formation. That's yeah. when we were really good, with Ndidi just taking the ball and then passing it sideways. But yeah, again, it's all the same thing. So this is where, again, not trying to jump ahead, where I feel for Rogers about bringing it. We know where all the gaps are. We know that our right flank is... Is is a you know weak um, just generally um, even with Castagna's physicality it doesn't compensate for it you know we are you know kind of exposed with the defense being cha- chopped and changed all the time due to all sorts of silliness going either behind the scenes or on the pitch um, you know where so into there's an interesting question that we could always talk about um, but we'll leave that for another time and then. Yeah, and then we know um, that we our creativity hinges on Madison. I felt during the Southampton game that they basically isolated him and just kept on top. And people said, oh, he was bad, but he was constantly being hounded as he, he was, was yeah. our main outlet. And yeah, if I was, I think if I was looking at us and go, well, how am I going to do this? Just, just silence Madison, because then all we do is cross into the box and hope that Vardy's in the right space. And it's not creative and it's easy to defend against. And it's, you know... It, yeah, it, it just leads to a bit of a lackluster game. Yeah, speaking yeah. of Ndidi, I actually thought he was much better against uh, Southampton than he was against Arsenal and Brentford this season because I, I could see he was much improved on the ball and his passing range was also better and he just didn't... It didn't look that forced as it did against Arsenal, but then again, that... A mistake for Southampton's first goal where they take a long throw and Ndidi loses his battle or misses the header and then the ball just breaks in the box for Jay Adams six feet away from goal. Yeah, I was, well, if, we, if we're going to start going to the goals, let's, shall we start by looking at Madison's goal? It makes a more, bit more sense to go yeah. in order, right? Because one thing Perez did really well was he was really smart about how he protected the ball to win that free kick. Yeah, Perez definitely has that kind of experience, doesn't he? Which is where he is really good. He knows when when to do certain things, and yeah, it, it's cl- it's cute stuff as as Rogers likes to put it. It's cute stuff like that that is that helps our cause for yeah. sure. Then with that free kick, there was a lot more going on with it than first appeared, right? Because we kind of set up as if it was going to be one of those balls aimed at the back post, which everyone who's yeah. got some vague aerial ability goes on to head, or maybe it's a shot at that back post. And then we just smash it in at the near post instead. Madison is just... We've seen it for quite some time now where Madison will always try and surprise the opponents with what he does or free kicks. You see it a lot of the times where he just takes it early and tries to catch defenders out, sorting themselves out. Oh yeah, I remember him doing that at some point last season and also catching out Ian Acho at the same time. Who wasn't <laughs> I think it was against Brentford actually before the ball ended up breaking to Jury, who then smashes it in from 30 yards. I can't remember who that was against. So that was 54th minute. Five minutes later, Southampton bring on Shea Adams up front. And 65th minute, we bring off Perez, we bring off Vardy and we bring on Tielemans and Dakar. Were these the right substitutions? I mean, you'd think at the time, I thought, yeah, they, they made sense. We bring on some fresh legs up front in a like-for-like change with Vardy and Dakar, and uh, we bring some more defensive steel in midfield by taking off Perez and putting on Tielemans and then in turn moving Madison to the right wing. But in hindsight, Tielemans just wasn't it that day. 
I genuinely can't remember too much that he did in that game other than that weird one and a half yard pass to Ndidi which then in turn got caught out and led to the second goal. I don't know on paper it seemed like for me I I don't know what Pratt has to do to come oh, in. Yeah. I think I think Pratt has far more physicality and stuff and he's quick. I think he's very good at coming in. I think he's he's quite creative. I, you know, I'm not saying yeah. he's a number 10, but for a number 8, yeah. I'd actually say he's definitely more on the creative side. For Torino um, last season, he played as an outside attacking midfielder and like mm-hmm. got forward a lot of the times, edge of the box, crosses it in, that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And he, 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 he creates those chances and he, he does some superb goals and he, he could come on that right side. I think for us, this is Perez, he didn't get replaced by a right winger. We had to change our shape to accommodate subs because we lack so much in that attacking. But I do think, I, I, and also just as a bit of a side, I don't know, Ian Archer on the right wing, left footed, creative, does well with other players, has a good connection with people. Did we get to go a bit it, wide? Yeah. I, I thought about it before, but. I, I don't know. I I wouldn't say you desperately need someone lightning quick on the wing, but I just feel like Iheanacho's better suited to um, twisting and turning in the middle than on the wing. Yeah. The place I most want to see Iheanacho is in the middle of a goal-mouth scramble about 6 or 12 yards out. Because <laughs> he's just got this knack of finding the ball there, and he kind of thrives on chaos in the box, right? Yeah, I, I think there is a perfectly good attacking plan where we just create chaos in the box and uh, tell Ianacho to go do Ianacho things. Just do. I like that. Um, I was going to say the only counter is that his goal against his last two goals have almost been identical, and they've both come down the right wing with his left foot. That one against Spurs, our sort of consolatory yeah. goal against them, he came down the right and he hit it with his left foot with power. Boom. You know, perfectly, just a complete thunder bastard from the right wing. I don't know. I part. Of, I, I've obviously, you know, I'm not unabashedly quite like him. Um, I think he has ability. I do think, you know, with Daka and Vardy kind of occupying that striker position, it would be worth just trying it out. At the moment, like I said, we're too exposed. And I think changing shape is the wrong answer. I think we need that right winger. So we either need to buy it or we need to either try Pratt or Ian Archer on that right wing. And go from yeah. there, but we have to. But obviously, I'm not Rogers, so he gets paid the big bucks to sort this stuff out. <laughs> so speaking of Pratt, and what does this player have to do? What does Soyuncu have to do to get in the team? Because if I have a hot take for this match, it is that if we played Soyuncu instead of Amati, we concede neither of those goals. I feel like we obviously don't know what is going on on the training ground on a daily basis, and I this is just me assuming and making stuff up, I guess, but. I think that Brendan just doesn't see any drive in Soyuncu on the training ground and that sort of fits in with what we've known Soyuncu to be after he returned from the Euros with Turkey where they just got absolutely hammered and which destroyed his confidence, anything that he had left anyway. And I feel like Soyuncu might just be sort of mentally checked out of Leicester and might just be sitting it out just going turning up to training and then wanting a reset at some point in the next next summer maybe even this summer somehow but when his contract runs out next summer then and it's just that sort of lack of drive maybe that Brendan sees in him which makes him prefer a Marty of him 
because even if Amati's abilities aren't as good as Suntu's, he still has some, you know, willpower behind him. Yeah, no, that's I think that's fair. I, I do wonder if there's more going on behind the scenes, like you said. I do wonder if he, his speculation's gone to his head. I know he got a bit turned and stuff. I, I'm i surprised Soyuncu would take that stance. I, though, Rogers made an interesting comment. He goes, this is the modern game where people play down their, you know, will play down their contracts. I do wonder yeah. if that's a direct sort of a, not quite yeah. accusation, but a direct at not just um, at, at Soyuncu, but at Tielemans. And Yeah, so it's yeah. more like Tielemans than Soyuncu would be aiming but, at. If but then again, Brendan has always been adamant that Tielemans is a model professional, and that is presumably why he keeps getting picked for our starting yeah. lineups. While with Soyuncu, I think that genuinely the only reason he keeps being in the matchday squads is because we've literally got no one else to put on the bench in case of a centre-back injury. Uh, if what are you we talking about? We've got the mighty Vestergaard. Yeah, I mean... we've got Vestergaard, but I think Brendan is genuinely trying to make a point to Vestergaard by leaving him out of all the matchday squads to tell him, you won't get a minute here, mate. Please find a new club. Please, Like, we found him a new club in Fulham, and he turned down the offer. That might kind of go back to what you're saying. Maybe soon she was a bit checked out. or I do think he was definitely shaken by it. Yeah. But this is where I think him playing against Evans now, obviously, our peak defence was when Evans and Soyuncu were next to each other. If we could yeah, rekindle yeah. that, we would be laughing. We would be yeah. laughing to the bank with what we need. Because Amate should not be starting. I... <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I like him. I can understand why he's a bit of a cult figure and so I but he should not be starting for yeah. he's, he's not, a side like ours. He's not a natural centre back, is he? Yeah, you started off as a midfielder, then went to being a full back and now is a centre back. And it shows, right? Yeah. It, especially on that second goal, which we'll talk a little bit about but for the first goal. I think it's important to credit, you know, Shay Adams his movement off the ball, his movement to get to where he needed to be was very good for both goals, right? It's clearly something he's doing really well at the moment. For the first yeah. goal, it's a long throw, which kind of like a corner, do we expect it? I think looking at how we've set up, we do expect it. Takes Castagna out of the game by going straight over him. And Ndidi is marking Shea Adams. The moment Ndidi jumps for the header... Shea Adams immediately drops back away from the goal to give himself space for a shot if the ball's cut back, right? And he's kind of betting on Ndidi to miss the header there and for one of his players to get it. And Ndidi does miss the header. I think that's the first mistake that led to that goal, right? If you're going to attack that ball, you need to get your head on it. And if you're not going to head it, you need to stick with your man. And by going for it and missing the header, Ndidi ended up doing neither. The ball then lands at the feet of Bella Kotchep, who um, just lays it off to Che Adams, and Adams puts it away, right? Who was marking Bella Kotchep? Because I was thinking, right, there's, there's our second opportunity to stop that goal, is if we have someone get the right side of Bella Kotchep to stop him getting the ball. A defender is just behind him, trying to, like, grapple him. It's completely ineffective. Who is it? It's Daniel Amati. I This is where I think Soyuncu would have been better. Soyuncu would have been stood there, leaning on him properly, making sure that he gets in between the ball and the man, or making sure that he cuts off that pass, or maybe even recognising that he's not going to get to the ball there, bodying the Shea Adams and dropping off to, to, to 
marked him, I think Fana would have been able to stop that as well. Yeah. But it was yeah. just a bit of lack of noose from Amati after Ndidi's mistake that allowed that goal to happen. Yeah. Of course, oh, this bigger picture thing, we'd already kind of capitulated our midfield dominance, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> arguably, the goal was coming, whatever we did. Ironically, I think um, Vestergaard would have done better as well because because he did say he wants to fight for a spot at Leicester. Yeah. It just happens that Rodgers, or pretty much the entire fan base as well, doesn't deem him good enough for our team. Yeah. Um, I, or he's but, just not a good enough fit because he is a class defender. Like, he's a good player. There's a good player in there. Otherwise, he wouldn't be starting for Denmark week in, week out. It just um, doesn't have the mobility we need. Yeah, he just he, we just bought the wrong player for our system. Um, I, but yeah, I, I take your point. If Vestergaard leans on you, you get leaned on. Yes. <laughs> I do think Vestergaard... I've, so we dropped deep as well, didn't we? I mean, that was part of it. We invited pressure with the yeah. drop and shape and after the goal. So even before we changed shape, we just invited pressure, which I don't know if that was the plan. I don't know why we're trying to conserve energy, you know that much we should really be running of you know but that's by the by you know and i actually do think vestigards as a like for like replacement for um amate would have been good if we're going to sit deep because that's where he's good what catches him out is speed if he gets caught on turn then he's one of the few people in the premier league that's made harry kane look quick you know yeah that <laughs> um, was that, that was some painful moments i had to witness in that game <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but you know, there was definitely, um, it, you know, not to invoke that game, but they were definitely, you know, there was definitely elements of that. That's how it felt, just not at the last minute. But ultimately, it just felt, yeah, we we just started doing silly things. We started, you know, Tielemans again in that game passed the ball straight to someone. I don't know what's happened to his decision making for us, but yeah, he, he looked he passed in pre-season and then just after the Arsenal, well, in the Arsenal game, just everything went out the window. So you say not to invoke that game, Madlock. Is that part of the deal you have with your wife to let you spend the time to do this? Is you have to branch in that game at least once every other episode? <laughs> no, I, 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 I deeply, deeply repress that game and any thoughts of it. And uh, my partner um, tries valiantly to remind me of it at any given moment. Then Southampton's winner. This was one where if you watch the match of the day analysis, they really blamed Amati for this goal. Because it's fair enough. Second goal, Ward-Prowse crosses to find Shea Adams again. And the match today analysis really points at Daniel Amati as being at fault because he totally loses sight of where Shea Adams is. He's meant to be marking him. He ends up too far away from him. The ball goes over his head and Shea Adams makes, admittedly, a very good volley to score the winner, right? Castagna yeah. tries to come over to cover, but fundamentally Castagna is behind the striker. He's He's... He's never going to get there in time. But perhaps, rather than blame Amati for this, do we want to look at what was going on in our midfield? Why has our midfield fallen apart there? I think it was partly mentality, but I also think, you know, there wasn't... An, we rely on the pressure coming evenly all over. We were just too narrow. We were just too narrow, and we don't do well with that, because when you play too narrow, all that means is Madison has to play through the channels, and as long as you block the channels, which, which you know, Southampton did, very well and they were very well organized even before we started losing our momentum and got on put on the back heel you just you just can't play against that we just against a team like that we have to be able to play wide and this is where our lack of depth is is impacting us and 
I would, you know, and that will be, continue to be a theme for us where we're either reliant on playing wide and focusing down the left wing, or we're having to play narrow and everyone just kind of does a low block and blocks the channels. And that's going to be frustrating for us. It, you know, we have very capable goal scorers, but yeah, the midfield, we need that width. Um, I think the midfield are not strong enough to do that sort of thing. And if we're going to do stuff like that, we need to have quite formidable stuff. And this is where actually, maybe instead of Tielemans, we, oh, sorry, not in Tielemans, um, but in Diddy, we need someone like Pratt. We need two number eights and three in the back with one defender kind of acting as a more forward going defender, which would probably be your Fofano these days. It was just a lack of awareness, really, on that goal, on that second goal by Marty. And it's something we saw the game before against Arsenal, where they got the near post flick on that then ended up just falling right in front of Gabriel Jesus at the back post, who had somehow completely lost to Marty as his marker. You know what? I um, don't blame Marty for that goal. There was nothing he could have done. It, yeah, it, it's, it's, just, it's just coaching, really, like to be constantly aware of what's going on around you because even like even if Amati loses his marker that's something that happens but then he has to make sure somebody else knows what's going on and can react accordingly accordingly and it just ties in with like we did apparently get a set piece coaching or did hire one but he's apparently having um visa issues which is why he hasn't been able to start work at Seagrave yet. Yeah, I do think that. I just, I, I think, to be honest, he, it wasn't just him. I think in Diddy towards in the second half as well got a bit turned around. There's definitely an element of focus with the players. Yeah. Um, from some of the clips, it just looked like that throw in, he's looking the other way. If someone's throwing in, you need to be watching the guy throwing in so you know what's about to happen. I don't know why he was looking the other way. I mean, that's, this is for me. It's just it's just basics. I don't know. We just defensive basics. We just seem to be really lacking. And if we can get that sorted, we're scoring goals. Yeah, we're scoring goals against the odds. We're just not capitalizing it because our defense and that. I think that compounds it as well as that we do go into these things where we start losing faith in the defense. All the players start dropping back. They start dropping back. They can just pile more pressure on, and then they keep a high line. And then we're we're yeah. playing a low block you know against our own wishes we're, we're having to do it yeah. because there's no trust in that back through back two or back three or whatever it is to or sorry back four or back uh five to deal with it and we need that faith back uh if we get that base sorted, the rest of it is sorted out but going forward we've got enough talent the only thing we could add is like i said the right wing we like that's the thing we scored five goals in our opening three games and somehow we've won none of them like yeah that is a problem we can't like it's not sustainable to be having to score three plus goals a game to win a game. Yeah, um, I seem to remember in our title winning season, people were saying the same thing about us because it took us ages to get a clean sheet. Not that I'm suggesting we're likely to win the title this season, <laughs> but I do actually remember that being a talking point about us that we probably weren't going to win the title because we were conceding too many goals. Um, although to be fair, we were also winning those games. <laughs> Yeah, well, this different. is it. We're, we're kind of now going the old-fashioned. Um, we just need to score more than the other guy, which you know is all well and good, but is also quite a risky strategy. I'd rather, you know, this is the modern game doesn't really let you get away with that too much. 
So I got some real deja vu from the Brentford game in that we were good for 60 minutes. I say we were good. You know, we dominated possession for that first 60 minutes and then substitutions happened and it fell apart. And when I say substitutions happen, I think to some degree maybe substitution of the other side, right? Um, Che Adams, when he came on for Mara, is a different kind of striker. And I think he may have, you know, we may have dropped back perhaps a bit in fear of him. Yeah. Is there maybe a lack of, you know, other managers seem to be coming in with a plan B against us? And then we're not seemingly able to find the right reaction. I was going to say there was an interesting point made by, by Matt Pipes where Southampton in particular, to corroborate your point there, um, almost constantly had an injury at 75 minutes to basically let um, Hans Hootel deliberate kind of a, a sort of end game for the match. I do curious if that maybe you're right there. Maybe there's something there. Maybe it's just a coincidence. But yeah, I think there's something interesting to consider. But my other question is, how good were we for those times where we have been dominant, right? We dominated the entire first half. We ended up with only one shot on target on the entire match, and that was Madison's goal, right? Somehow we came away with loads of possession, no shots on target. Our overall XG for the game was 0.38. Which is that is depressing. Next to nothing. Here's the thing: our XG against Arsenal was 0.6. We had a higher XG against Arsenal, yeah. and our XG against Brentford was also 0.6. So when you look at that, you know we say, you know, fair enough, we're trying to outscore them, but actually, are we going to be successful with that? Our XG for the season so far is 1.8 in three games. I, part of me thinks like I, I'm not a big fan of expected goals just personally we've been out doing our expected goals <laughs> consistently for ages we we do seem to, I don't know if it's luck I don't know if it's just a bit more sharpness than statistics allows but we've always been that I think last time we had more than one expected goal was the Everton loss so I think that yeah. just means we're good at taking our chances which speaks quality to our attack now it's just like I said, attack isn't the issue. We are scoring the goals, and we're able to cause that threat. It's now just keeping them out of ours. <laughs> but I do suspect this season there's going to be a, a lot of high goal matches. <laughs> In that Brentford game at the start of the season, after the second goal that Dewsbury Hall so beautifully scored, there was a period of, like, I'd say, 10, maybe 15 minutes where we got chance after chance after chance. Tielemans had a couple shots from distance, Vardy had a shot, Maddis had a shot, but none of them were actually converted and it's maybe those times where we need to be extra clinical and just make the most of the chances we actually do get because inevitably we're going to concede and we're going to get drawn back into a game once our opponents are within one goal. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I do... And this isn't, you know, I do think Vardy's not firing yet. I think he is just, as we, he, now he he does go through, po- and every striker does, to be honest. Um, I think he's just through a pocket where he's not scoring at the moment. Yeah, I think once that changes, that could be a massive, massive win for us. But yeah, it's frustrating, but we, we need to build that base, uh, that offensive base and go from there. And I think that's where Rogers want to go. And I do think once... The- August is over, we'll be far more settled, but unfortunately we're just going to have... I personally am not a big fan of the transfer window going into the season. Yeah. Um, because of this kind of stuff. 
Anyway, I think we've said as much as we can about that game. So let's go on to, and I don't want to take long over this. Is Brendan Rodgers going to stay? Um, I think my favourite comment I saw on this was from one of the moderators on the Discord. He says, now that I've swinged onto the Brendan Rodgers outside, you can guarantee we will start winning all our games again, just so I look like a right dick. <laughs> I do um, I do believe that I do yeah I, I 100% believe that knowing who exactly said that and yeah, um, yeah. I I've, yeah no, actually you know I, what I might be funny on it now <laughs> we we all know who said it um we love you Maury um so do you want to kind of go run down really quickly um why do we think Rogers might be out just bang 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 let's not discuss it too much who wants to talk about that or shall I oh you can go first all right, I'll, I'll talk a bit about why we think Rod, well, I think Rogers might be out. So the, the first thing is there's a lack of mental resilience in the squad that we've talked about for a while. We talked about it a lot last season as well. It has been a talking point for ages. Why does it seem to be getting worse? Why can't we fix it? The person you should be looking to to fix that is at some point the manager, whether it's the manager taking charge himself or if he doesn't know how to fix it himself if he doesn't have that skill set by bringing in the right people you know sports psychologists to do it it's something that has worked wonders for um the england football team they've done it england rugby team have done it it was the new zealand all blacks um the the new zealand rugby team who really really started focusing on this sort of thing um i don't know how many premier league teams do it but if we want to sort this out i reckon we get in one of those coaches to do like basically team spirit coaches because it's worked wonders in a bunch of other places and we could be a bit ahead of the Premier League if we do that we're not doing it and it's getting worse um, the other thing is he might walk right a lot of people have said on one of the podcasts I listened to they talked about who will win the sack race who will get sacked first and the fair bunch of people said on there that they could see Brendan Rodgers not getting sacked, but making a principled resignation. There has been, as we record this, talk that he's he has left, which has not been corroborated as of recording. But the fact that I only feel the need to say as of recording says I do find it somewhat credible that by the time this is out on Wednesday, he could have decided to resign. Um, I think most likely if he does resign, it will be after the transfer window, where he can say, I was promised a squad refresh. I'm an ambitious manager. I want to go for trophies. But the way that we've gone about this past transfer window says this isn't a club where that's going to happen while I'm here. So I'm out. Right? And the last reason we might decide to fire him, and this is, I think, harsh on him, but if we haven't been able to refresh the players, maybe we refresh the manager. I think part of the thing is, a team playing against us, you're looking at the same set of players, give or take a few, with the same manager, you can expect a very sort of similar sort of game to the last time you played them. And any team can review what did well against us. And that game plan is pretty much going to work against us again. Whereas if you compare it to any other team, like say, you know, we some teams had good games against Man City. They can't just go back to that game plan again because well, they've brought in a few new players. You know, it's the same Man City, I guess, but you also have to deal with Erling Haaland. And every other team in the league will have had enough changes. Maybe a new manager comes in 
imposes a different playstyle on us and we can start surprising teams again. Because at the moment, I don't think we're ever catching a team by surprise. It's kind of why there's always this feeling of the other managers one step ahead of us. I think I've talked enough there. Why are we yeah. keeping Rogers? Convince me. I think, yeah, there's a couple of points why he might not be fired or why he might not walk. One reason as to why he might not walk um, would be that he's still got quite a hefty bit left on his contract with us. He's contracted till um, 2025, I believe. So that would still be three years on the quite hefty salary that he is on, which I doubt he would forego voluntarily. If we were, like, he would want us to sack him, so he'd be owed a sort of payout or payoff. At least that's what, like, let's be honest, if you're the manager in this situation, you, you're going to want to get your money's worth. I also think... Um, he might not be sacked um, because, sim- simply put, if we sack him, there's not really anyone credible r- as of right now who we could bring in to replace Rodgers. I'm really not a fan of sacking coaches just for the sake of sacking them because if you then go and <laughs> if you then go and give it dice till the end of the season or something like that, don't think I, dice would be right for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my point. Like. You need the right fit to be available to replace someone, not just sack someone for the sake of it. No, I think, yeah, no, I definitely echo that. That's definitely a concern of mine, but sorry, go on. And um, as for the transfers he didn't get and whatnot, and the ambition the ambition of the club has always been to, um, quote-unquote, disrupt the big six, right? Um, it hasn't always been to, like, I don't think it's ever been to go and win trophies. It's always been disrupt the big six as best we can. So if Rogers feels he's unable to win trophies with us, then that's one thing. But it wasn't ever our ambition, like our initial ambition. Um, so I don't think he could like cite that as a reason for why he might be leaving or wanting to leave us. And as for the transfer market activity or lack thereof, he did get a lot of the players he wanted last summer in Pats and Daka, Bubakari Samare and Yannick Vestergaard, even if the latter was a sort of panic signing. Um, I think he wanted um, Ryan Bertrand as well. Oh yeah, he Ryan said Bertrand. Bertrand exactly. Russell, but that's one entirely different. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, he got all those signings and... One year later, we're trying to get rid of three of them. Maybe, perhaps the board have had a think and thought maybe it isn't the best idea to give Brendan any further funds, at least until um, the situation with set three players is resolved. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you brought them in, now you need to deal with them. You know, it happens in in the business world and, you know, outside of football, you know, if you have a manager and you bring them in, suddenly you've got to, you know, I've, I've been in that position where I brought someone in and they then became a problem and then I either had to find a way to make them useful or I had to sort of see them out. And now, this is not a way to talk about your children. I, uh, <laughs> my, I, 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 if anyone's booting anyone out of this house, my daughter's definitely booting me out. Um, 
So for a two-year-old, she's quite formidable. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, with Rogers, I, I'm very much still support him. I know that's not kind of a secret. I've always, I'm very reluctant to change. You know, I, with the Puel years, I was kind of backing him. I saw what you trying to do. Um, in a perfect world, I'd have Puel do the recruitment and Rogers do the tactics and man management. We're not there, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, Rogers. He, he's in this kind of position, and I think this is a test for him. He needs to really think about what he's going to do. He has this reputation of a three-year cycle. He kind of comes in, he rejuvenates, brings a great, he brought a great feeling around this club. I mean, once he we start playing, it's been wonderful watching him turn us into nearly prime Barcelona at times. And yeah, now he's got to find it in himself to go. I actually, I've got the resilience to carry us through this. I'm going to, you know, make the most of it. And this is where I'm getting frustrated with him because I think there are some games being played, not just by him, but, you know, agents. And there's a lot of silliness going on around the, the club at the minute that I think is outside of his power. I think if he can, we should do it. I, I'm almost tempted to say we can almost need to bring in a signing. And it's a risky strategy, bring in the signing to really nail down that actually Vestergaard, you're... Uh, you really are out. So I'm not entirely sure how much more we can do to contribute that. I mean, he's behind in Diddy, for God's sakes, as a centre-back. Yeah. <laughs> when you're behind a midfielder as a choice for centre-back, you're you're in trouble. You really are. But we have to see. Um, it's what? it's a frustrating time. He, he needs to prove his mettle and he needs to deal with the mess he created. But do I, I do think the club could be backing him a bit more, but I don't know. I don't know what's going on behind what the scenes. What are the odds you think he'll leave of his own accord? Lenny suffers quite clearly, doesn't think Rogers will leave, will resign. Do you think it's possible he could? I, I, I do think he could, because I think it'll be a mutual termination, not to get into like the legalities of it, but um, which will mean he'll still kind of get his pay. And I think he's been clever with his contract. We do have a club and owners who will fire and I bet you when he negotiated he was mindful of that and he's like well when I get the bumper contract which he did actually I want to make sure I'm a little more secure in my job there's an argument to be said maybe we've made him feel too secure but he did go on and win like I said an FA Cup and Community Shield after that so uh, you can you can argue the toss either way but yeah I I could see him potentially walking He he's clearly frustrated he's done it in a very I don't know if I'd call it professional, but in a very calm, but very firm manner. I, I suspect he's he as a dad. He knows yeah, how to yeah. talk to the media manner. He's yes, he's very media savvy, and he, you know, he he keeps making a point about how it makes uh, the crowd excited and it brings excitement. And I think he's right. I do think there's truth yeah. in that. If the fact that he's banging on about it is clearly um, a concerted he's, effort by the man. Yeah. So I think the general feeling uh, amongst us three, because, you know, as much as I've made the Rogers out case, I'm there as a spokesman for a, for the side, because someone has to say it. I, I think we should try and keep him as well. The only last thought I said that, if right. we were to leave, the only person I could think that could replace him that is a reason actually available is Pochettino. And I know Lenny is not necessarily a fan of that, but um, I do actually think he would suit us and our attacking style of football. I don't know if he'd win us trophies, but he'd definitely get us playing better. Lenny, do you want to say like 10 words on Pochettino? Um, 
Why do I feel like this is going to begin an F and end off? Lenny, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you want to say uh, two words on Pochettino? <laughs> yeah, no. I think ten words might not be enough, but essentially it boils down to... Um, I think it'd be silly to bring in someone who has shown at PSG to be of a similar mold to Rogers, where his team is rather soft, and PSG had some quite miraculous breakdowns in the Champions League the season he managed them and they were very akin to um, what we see with us in the Premier League every time after the 60th minute, 60th minute. so I don't know if he would really be the solution to that um, if we were to replace Rodgers I'd quite like for us to go for someone a bit more unproven I guess um, it doesn't necessarily have to um, be put in a bad context or negative context. We could go for someone like the current RB Salzburg manager, Matthias Jaisler or Jaisler, whatever you want to pronounce him, I genuinely don't know. But he is managing a Salzburg team which is playing very high pressing, attacking football. And he was the first manager to ever get Salzburg into uh, UCL knockouts as well as nearly beat Bayern in a run of 16 game or tie he beat them in the first leg and then got beaten in the second leg but yeah someone like him potentially to replace Rodgers rather than the same old same old Premier League quote-unquote proven managers oh that's a good shout I mean RB Salzburg just as a complete side note produced a a wealth of yeah. coaching and management yeah. talent. I think half the Bundesliga have gone through yeah. the RB Salzburg I mean, um, academy, haven't they? Some names like who have come or have had affiliations with um, Red Bull teams are Julian Nagelsmann, Ralf Hasenhutl, Matthias Eisler, um and Jesse Marsh currently at Leeds where they're playing some very decent football this season. Yeah, I think that's fair. While someone like Eisler didn't personally coach Dakar, they still employ the same system currently as they did back when Dakar was at Salzburg and was banging in goals so um, I reckon um, someone like Yesler could probably be the one to get the best out of Dakar Well there you have it um, Matthias Yesler to replace Brendan Rodgers, you heard it here first. <laughs> Let's really move on from that now Yeah, Watch it end up being really new, <laughs> Let's really move on from that now. So there's, there's talk of some potential like deadline day-ish loan deals we could do. Lenny, do you know about those? Yeah, I reckon like while we probably and most likely won't get any permanent deals in because um, the board have made it clear we need to move on players before we bring anyone in because of the wages. Um, I do think that at the end, because of all the pressure... I would call it pressure that Rogers is putting on the board and our transfer department by constantly going on about um, how new signings would rejuvenate the squad and push the current players even further, stuff like that. Um, I do think that we will end up making one or two deadline day loan deal signings, preferably um, a winger. There's been talk of Callum Hudson or Doyle of Chelsea coming in on um, he's a youngish I think he's 21, 22 years old winger the thing with him is he's a right footed left winger 
who we probably end up playing on the right out of position again, the same as we tried to do with Luckman, and I just don't know if that is the solution. There's been some rather unreliable sources who said that we would be interested in um, loaning out um, Nicola Pepe from Arsenal, and he could potentially be included in a deal for Tielemans, uh, though I'd prefer if we kept those deals separate because I wouldn't want uh, any potential Tielemans deal with Arsenal to be watered down. Um, as for Pepe himself, I do think like he's a left-footed right winger, basically what we've always wanted ever since Mara's left. And while he has been a bit of a laughingstock at Arsenal the, for the last two or three years, not only because of his outrageous fee that they paid for him back in uh, 2020 it was 72 million I believe but also because of his attacking output after he got to Arsenal I do think like looking at the underlying numbers that there's a quality player in there still and if you could get him to perform with those same underlying numbers for more than 600 minutes a season then that would probably be a decent deal especially if it's just alone where wages are partially covered by Arsenal and if he turns out good we potentially have a um, have an option to buy him at the end of the loan something like that yeah no I think I think yeah that's yeah that's fair and I think Pepe I think Pepe would do well Arteta is a bit of a, a teacup for where I do believe Rogers is more an arm over the shoulder type manager his man management you can say what you like his man management is very good I mean, you see some of the players he's revitalized, you know, case in point, Ian Nacho. I think you're right with Pepe. If we can get him and find his, help him refine his quality, then we could really be laughing. The only one that you kind of missed out there is possibly James Garner. James Garner is a name oh, I've yeah. seen crop up. And I think even that's come from the Lord himself, uh, John Percy. Um, but then uh, at, but, the same, yeah. at the same time, midfield and fullback is probably the one position we don't really need any reinforcements in currently anyway no because while Samare, Dewsbury Hall, Tielemans, Madison, Mendy are still all at the club I don't see much point in bringing any further bodies in there yeah I think basically Absolutely. what we need still is a right winger I think probably a backup for Barnes so that if Barnes yeah. needs a rest we can play someone Lookman was great for that last season we yeah. had that yeah, so it look at yeah. Sorry, you, you're making me angry with that, and I know it's not your fault. I just oh, that frustrates me so much. <laughs> and also a centre back because Amati's not one. Well, it's also just depth, yeah. isn't it? I mean, we need someone just to basically, and I think maybe you do that to push the point with Vestergaard. Like, look, here's a centre back. I've almost would have been tempted to do a Daniel Levy and just be like, we're not just, we're just not going to give you a number. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, really make it clear. In a in a dream world, we we bring in two sort of wide players, one on the right, like a natural right winger, and another one who's like a bit versatile, can play on the left, can play something else as well, and then yeah. a quality centre back on loan maybe, because I don't want to be in deep shit as soon as one of Evans or Fafana inevitably get injured with a hamstring injury or something of the like. Uh, Madlock, what can you tell us about the stadium expansion plans? So the stadium expansion. So just to be clear, obviously this is there's been, it's been a few deadlines that have come up. Uh, just for those who you're not aware, 
Um, and basically, what it is is there's been a proposal. It's been architected. It, all the all the designs have been put there, and those designs have been put to the council. And then obviously they put those out for considerations and other things, and they kind of do an internal consultancy. We're now at the stage where we've got um, uh, the city council, and they will prove it in principle to then submit for uh, basically you know suggestion for acceptance by the planning commission or the planning committee rather. And we're hoping that on the 14th of September, if they've scheduled it in, usually that means they're doing, they've done well. Um, obviously, Leicester City have a great relationship with the local council for various things. They work quite well with them and Leicestershire Police Force uh, and various other, you know, um, civil authorities in, in the area um, to help with this. So I think, yeah, on the 14th of September, we could do it. And that would mean we would start seeing some real, we will actually break dirt potentially shortly in late September because the ambition is still to bring the um, stadium into uh, play by um, 2024. So the 2024-25 season will be the season we'll hopefully be able to get that. And hopefully I'll finally be able to get a season ticket after many years of waiting, but we'll see. Um, but more to the point, it will, you know, just from other things, it helps diversify. So this not just a stadium. We're also talking an arena for 7,000 people where they'll have concerts and other things and basically revenue generation sort of stuff. So shows will effectively hire out the hall uh, or hire out the arena, sorry. And obviously that would be a form of income that helped diversify our portfolio and will be year round. Uh, we would also be have a hotel, which again, would re I think it would complement or, re or replace the hotel that's currently on site. So if you approach this, the store, you'll see it across the way. Um, they're also going to bring in a new store and I think a couple other businesses and also a set of block a block of flats where hopefully we don't pull an arsenal and get bad cladding and then charge all the residents £50,000 but in fact actually you know provide some quality houses um, but they obviously will probably luxury houses particularly with an LE2 postcode uh, and hopefully they get a good seat or that but yeah it's a big it's not just a stadium expansion of the east stand of 8,000 people it's going to be a lot more and this is, I think, where the club are being prudent, kind of going, you know, not to go back to the transfers, but we are being prudent. We're not trying to spend uh, just for the sake of it. We could have, you know, the money is there. And that's something that keeps getting misconstrued. The money is there. We're just trying to spend it effectively. And I think this would be a good yeah. good use yeah. of funds and, and will be, uh, in the long term, give us a better block. Increasing our revenue is also vitally important because yeah. um, financial be fair play... More. Financial fair play is um, the thing that is probably holding back most clubs currently who are mm -hmm. ambitious and who want to sign players and who want to spend money. So by increasing our revenue, we then in turn be able to spend way more money in the future, hopefully, on yeah. signing players. So we could go from... Like, our usual spend in the summer has basically been neutral because we sold one big asset before bringing in any new players but last summer we did go and spend like 50 60 million um without selling anyone um and that was considered major for us like it'd be nice if uh, maybe one day we get to the point where we can do that year after year without having to get rid of our best players so I, the only thing I was going to add is also, you know, even then we, we should really keep in mind, this is where Leicester City do struggle, even when we expand to 48,000 people uh, with probably some safe standing configurations probably in place as well, um, we are still going to probably still pale in comparison. That just to put, just put it into perspective, that just about lets us fill up the, 
uh, you know, it basically fills up maybe uh, half of the Spurs stadium. And also Spurs will do things like they will um, obviously uh, they diversify by getting rock concerts, NFL and other things. I do wonder if we'll start doing that. And hopefully that's something we should consider as part of the stadium expansion. But obviously we'll see. But this is, yeah, like I said, diversifying and, you know, we've got to get this as a business and we've got to make sure we're increasing our profile and increasing uh, our capacity to make revenue and that will ultimately give us more weight in going forward in the long run uh, instead of trying to <laughs> just yeet it into into champions league through the pain and suffering of everyone involved yeah okay uh we'll move on to our other teams um leicester city women played reading women in a pre-season friendly i could not find any youtube footage of this there is a match report on the leicester city football club website this is our second win in pre-season in a row, and the nice difference with this one is that Reading are a WSL team who finished eighth ahead of us last season. Um, our goals were a delightful chip from CJ Bott, who's a new signing for this season, a goal poked home from close range after a scramble from a corner from Georgia Brewham. I'm pretty much quoting from the match report. Uh, she joined us last season, and Natasha Flint, who's been with us since our championship days, one possession high up the pitch, and then sent the ball over the on-rushing goalkeeper to close it out. Uh, we have another friendly against Brighton Hove Albion next Saturday. It's behind closed doors. You probably won't be able to find any footage. They finished seventh in WSL last season, and we watched that space closely. Here's a question for you, Madlock, because you like to go to Filbert Way when you can. If you were to go and try and watch Jamie Vardy and all the rest of them play a Premier League match, how far would £42 get you? £42, well, if you've got a a little one, will get you into the family stand, just about. Just about. If I remember rightly, yeah. If you're a fan of Natasha Flint, Georgia Broom, CJ Bott, £42 will get you a season ticket for all the home games that Leicester City women play. They are playing as many matches as they can at Filbert Way, at the King Power Stadium, so you get a visit there, however many times for the season and they are playing where they can't play there at Burton Stadium. So um, if you've got £42 and you're considering a football ticket, well worth thinking about that WSL ticket. Yeah, you, you get some good turnout just to kind of add to that. It's sort of um, a couple thousand people. Obviously, you're not filling out the stadium just yet, but obviously this is a build-up to that. Um, just to add, you know, we Leicester only won two games in the WSL last season and one of them yep. was obviously against our key rivals in relegation um, just to kind of add to it so CJ Bott was one of the many signings I think um, Bedford the manager uh, she's been really good she was a former assistant manager for England and she's brought in some really good experience as well as a lot of up-and-comers um, Leicester City Academy um, Women's Academy that is have already won a trophy over Arsenal Women Academy. Just to put that into perspective, Arsenal are probably one of, if not the premier women's clubs in the country. Mm. So for us to be able to say we've done that already within the first year or two of of becoming professional and creating the academy and stuff shows there's some real promise. And yeah, it, it's one to watch. Um, and just talking about revenue, obviously um, they will benefit from us, but there'll be a point where effectively we're filling out the stadium for both women women's football and men's football obviously it's more revenue into the club and obviously what a day that we'll investigate 
that will be and they will be yeah and i think yeah it's exciting stuff and 42 quid is really nothing and it's really family accessible for those who maybe don't want to take their kids to a quite rowdy premier league game <laughs> just for the record we won four games last season four games our apologies yeah. they're not gonna be happy with me with that one yeah, i'm sorry but, but it, it, we did lose yeah. 17 but we won four and that was enough it's a it's a tough um, league it's a very top heavy league yeah, yeah um moving on from that because we are running way over moving on from that um the under 21s beat west ham's under 21s in premier league two um Hurst scored first, and then um, Mass Wanhise scored second. They came back to make it 2-1, and then Hurst nutmegged the keeper to make it 3-1. O- Odunze made some good saves and goal. This was a pretty good result for us. Uh, first win of the season um, out of three games. Um, I noticed when I watched the YouTube highlights that two of our three goals came from the ro- crosses from the right wing. Should we perhaps promote a winger from the under-21s? Um, I, I mean, who are wingers in the under-21s? I think it's uh, Marcel Madivadua and Will Alves, right? Yeah, I think by the looks of it, we're playing with wing-backs. Yeah, um, so and, yeah. it had been Marcel Madivadua, who has got a senior appearance for us against um, Watford in the Cup last season, I think. And... Um, Will Alves, um, who we've got high expectations for, but I think he needs—he probably needs some more time. He's like, yeah. I think, 18 now, and yeah, he'll need some more time. Probably another season in the academy, and then perhaps loan next season. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a fair analysis. Yeah, well, I do think we should see if we could pull. So Stockport would be an excellent trialing ground. I think if we could pull someone from the academy to be that winger he he shows obviously a proficiency at the premier league two level or the effectively the under 21s level um if he could translate that to premier league we'd be laughing um mm. i can't remember if he'd been out on loan but yeah hurst hurst and alves uh, alves um it's alves or alves sorry alves alves sorry he those two they both have had really good loan spells um they've been really interesting um, Adunzi has been interested. So he's the, he's an American, isn't he? Or he's a, he's a U.S. national. He's a big fella. I, I, I proper. I'd like to see where he gets. But we seem to have a bit of a wealth of talent of goalkeepers. Where we are, we've got himself. We've got the uh, Polish keeper whose name escapes me. Stolarczyk. Yeah. Stolarczyk. Yeah. He he looks really promising. In fact, I this might be controversial. I thought he looked better in preseason than Iverson. He was prone to some comedy goalkeeping moments. Yeah, but, uh, he's, but yeah. Anyway, we've we've done our preseason review. Um, yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. Sorry, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we do test them against Stockport or anything, yeah. and see if we get some winners. So, speak of the Stockport game, uh, shall we do our review of the Stockport game? Yeah, yeah. Right, which is to be played. Uh, so, no, sorry. It, was played yesterday um, on Tuesday, as this podcast comes out on Wednesday. Uh, but yes. we're recording on Monday before the game has happened. Yes. So, uh, how do we play this? What do we do? How about we record two reviews, one for if we win and one if we lose, and then the editor can decide which one to do. Alright. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Right, let's go. So, how about that win against Stockport, right? Oh, it was fantastic. Lots of our youth players, obviously, but they really outplayed Stockport. We made all the right substitutions and we were very tactically astute. This clearly proves what I've been saying for a very long time, which is that Brendan Rodgers is the right manager for the long-term future of this club. 
All right, sounds good. Now, the other one, so that lost to Stockport. Uh, it was so disappointing. I mean, lots of youth players, obviously, but we were outplayed on the pitch. We got the substitutions all wrong and we were very tactically naive. This proves what I've been saying for a long time, which is that the Rogers out crowd were right all along. Nice to actually cover us. Cool. Now, whoever edits that, ah, that's me. Only use one of those or you're fired. Let's talk about Chelsea. We played Chelsea <laughs> oh. away on the 27th of August at 3pm UK time. So if you're in the UK, it's not on TV. If you're not in the UK, check your local providers because we ain't going to list them all here. Is this an ideal time to be facing Chelsea if we had to pick a time to face them? Probably the worst time to face them, honestly. <laughs> uh, with all the with all the Fafana to Chelsea rumours, like it, like it doesn't help that um, there's rumours in the first place. But the problem is he's going to be dropped for the game. Like I doubt he will play a game before the window is closed again, right? So playing Chelsea with Amati or like someone else, Vestergaard, Sonsu, I'm just not very confident. But then again, Chelsea's attack is very 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 bad right now and if any team maybe we could nick a clean sheet against them out of all teams but that's just me being a delusional Leicester fan but yeah what do um, you mean delusional <laughs> yeah obviously I um, mean is got... that delusional compared to the rest of us or just the baseline level because we all just are the, just, just, just the baseline level yeah right. the problem with Chelsea is you don't like I. I wouldn't be able to describe what their game plan is. I wouldn't be able to describe who their main player. Like, it's so weird because seemingly it's their wing backs who do all the goal scoring and all the assisting and pretty much everything else on the pitch as well. While they have players like Sterling, Havertz, and Mason Mount on the pitch who seemingly aren't very involved in anything, and it's just I don't know what to expect from them. They lost. 3-0 to Leeds last week and yeah. Um, yeah lost 3-0 to Leeds last week but then played some rather heroic football against Spurs yeah I, I wouldn't know what to expect I, like obviously I'm hoping for a win and I do think that if we sort out our basics which is the same I've said after every game so far this yeah. season if we do sort out our basics then we should be winning games but I was saying as that it happens yeah, hasn't happened so far, so um, let's hope it happens this time, eh? Yeah, I was saying we need to sort out our basics after a lot of games last season, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Chelsea have just been, let's be honest, spanked by Leeds. Is that a blueprint for us to follow, maybe? We can try and lead them? I mean, if I if I remember the goals correctly, the first one was a mistake by Edouard Mendy, Chelsea's keeper, which Leeds leads forced by just pressing really really high up the pitch yeah. um, and obviously a fair bit of luck because you, you won't always have the ball break for you perfectly to be able to tap it yeah. in uh, Chelsea um, didn't help themselves there either they should have had their centre backs drop, drop back to yeah. give Mendy a pass and they just didn't they just left Mendy isolated there it wasn't as yeah. much Mendy's fault as it looks <laughs> And trying to think the other goals. I think the other goals were just results of like very good attacking play, really. I mean, Leeds were very energetic, very aggressive. Yeah. Um, I think they just out-energied Chelsea. Yeah. 
And, the leftovers from the Bielsa days, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, as much as I say, okay, is that a blueprint to follow? Probably not, because we're not really the sort of team who seems to out-energy anyone. If anything, we have a problem with lethargy. Yeah. So maybe that blueprint there... I mean, maybe that can motivate the players. Maybe this is a match Rogers can look at the look at the team and say, look, energy, energy, energy. This is what you need to bring to beat a team like Chelsea. And, you know, there's no space for kind of hanging back and jogging after the ball. Um, also running in our favour, I think Koulibaly is like is going to be suspended for this match after getting a red card in the last one. Yeah. And Thomas Tuchel has a touchline suspension to be served. But there's an appeal. And I think it won't happen until the FA publish the reasons for their decision. So if that gets published this week... I think he's suspended for the match. So he could be this match. If those two, if Tuchel gets suspended from the touchline, that could be a massive bonus for him, couldn't he? Such a presence. Yeah. Yeah, Koulibaly is a big miss. He, he's genuinely looked like Chelsea's best centre-back so far this season, which would mean they'd probably have to uh, deploy one of Chalaba or Aspilicueta to, to replace him. And that's if they... Um, well, that's if they play Cucurella left centre-back as well. Hmm. Do you think home advantage is likely to play its part? I don't think it should play that much of a part because Spurs also went away to Chelsea and ended up coming back in that game and drawing it 2-2. So I don't think, out of all, out of all the big six grounds, I honestly think Stamford Bridge is probably the one where the home advantage, as you called it, is the smallest. Because Anfield, while yes, the the Anfield atmosphere can be a bit of a myth at times, it's, it's still a massive ground and there's, what, 60,000, 70,000 people in there. Same goes for Old Trafford where there's 80,000 people in there. Spurs' new stadium, the, the toilet bowl, as some people called it. Um, there's what 70,000 60,000 people in there the Emirates is it was bouncing when we went there perhaps the Etihad but yeah Stamford Bridge and the Etihad are probably these stadiums out of the big six where you can go as an away side and get a result quite consistently we did last season now that I remember it towards the end of last season yeah we definitely owe Chelsea a bit of revenge for a couple of times they've had we've had some quite bad tempered matches with them lately yeah haven't we I, d- I definitely they're one of those teams that I want I want a bit of revenge on I also think this could be one of those matches you know if we thought you know what Southampton that's a match where it, we, it's a win we can easily get and kickstart our season well we didn't get that but you know what bouncing back from that by beating Chelsea really would kickstart our season yeah. even if it's not perhaps the most likely thing to happen there, there there always seems to be one or two or well at least one of the big six that are struggling every season and it's always a game that that's then targeted by um opponent managers to mm. get a result in because no matter how poor say arsenal or Chelsea or whoever it might be out of the big six play, it's still Arsenal you're beating, it's still Chelsea you're beating. Yeah. Last season it was Arsenal at the start of the season, you saw it with Brentford. 
They beat Arsenal in the opening game of the Premier League season 2-0 and then went on a decent run. Basically ensured them staying up. It's one of those things, isn't it? With, with you know, as much as missing new players coming in, we really want some refreshing to the squad. This is still a squad who largely beat Southampton 9-0, who have embarrassed Man City in the past... Yeah. who have embarrassed Man United in the past. Um, we've got, you know, embarrassed... Um, well, not embarrassed. It was only a 1-0 win over Liverpool last season. Yeah, but... You know, this is still... We played we play that game with midfield as a centre-back, like, and that yeah. was our first clean sheet of the season, was it, against Liverpool out of all teams? So, yeah. It is, at heart, a really good squad who can go and beat any team still. And that includes Chelsea away. But yeah, Chelsea—they've just there's something of Chelsea that smacked me of inconsistency, like you said, and I don't know what Chelsea team we'll face. Yeah, I mean it's 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 likely Sterling will play, Mount will play, and they play these this sort of weird, not quite winger, not quite attacking midfielder role, yeah. um, to either side of the striker. Whoever that might be, whether that's Havertz, even though he isn't a striker and Tuchel is honestly misusing him, um, or whether that's Broza. Yep. Kante is still out injured with a hamstring injury. Gallagher looked quite poor, honestly, against um, Leeds last weekend. So I don't know whether he'd be involved again. I mean, yeah, maybe this is a match where we can go and properly kickstart our season. Because you know, I say you know, a win against Chelsea is one of those wins that you go home. I want to say you know, the mood on the team bus back from a win against Chelsea would be awesome, but don't they all take planes these days? You'd think Fafana made would make up his mind the second we beat Chelsea. <laughs> oh yeah, it'd be great for that. And actually, I think this is a game where it might be worth playing Fafana and telling him, look. You might as well play well here for us because. To be fair, it didn't work out too well for Tielemans, did it, against Arsenal? <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know if we'll see for fun. I suspect not. And then after that match, we have, you know, what looks like a bit of an easier run. We've got Man yeah. United, we, you know, okay, Man United are beating Liverpool as, a, as we record this. Uh, we've got Brighton, then Aston Villa. And then, okay, Tottenham is a, a tougher opponent. Um, but again, Tottenham at that point will have been in the midst of playing a whole bunch of Champions League fixtures. So yeah. they might not be on top of their game, but we'll come to that down the line. You and know, after Tottenham, it just like Brighton is a tough fixture. They look really good this season. Honestly, yeah, I, I, Brighton I reckon Brighton well. is a tougher fixture than Man United. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, who won that first game of the season, right? Yeah. Um, Aston Villa honestly I mean I said I like our chances against Southampton I like our chances against Brentford um, and we went on to draw and lose those games but Aston Villa really don't look good this season and they're in a similar situation right now where a majority of the fan base probably wants the manager out Hmm. then Tottenham away is a tough game but after that it's Forest, Bournemouth, Palace Leeds, Wolves um, those are all like we should be targeting those games really to go on a massive run and get at least three or four wins. Yeah, yeah. I think a win against Chelsea and we take that the momentum from that 
especially at home to beat Man United. Brighton could be a bit of a wobbler, sure, but if we've got momentum behind us, this is kind of one of those games where a good win puts us in such a good position that you've really got to think we'll be throwing everything at it. Um, I say such a good position, you know, I mean good position mentally. Um, Incidentally, for anyone listening and thinking, that Madlock guy has been real quiet for a while. It looks like the moment that we started talking about Chelsea, his daughter started crying. Let's solidify our thoughts into this game. What do you think the score will be? Um, Seeing how I still... I don't see us keeping a clean sheet for a while, at least. So I'd say a well-fought 2-1 victory. A well-fought 2-1 victory. I'm going to run with... I have the feeling it will be a 1-1. Yeah. I'm not convinced that we are going to, as much as I talk I talked us up so much for that win and I'm like nah I don't think it's going to happen though <laughs> <laughs> so there you have that review it's going to be a 2-1 win if you believe Lenny a 1-1 win- draw if you believe me I nearly said a 1-1 win there there you go Madlock is still attending uh, to his crying daughter oh no Madlock is back I'm, hello Madlock I'm actually, I'm actually back yeah sorry uh yeah, just a bit of an unfortunate incident. Um, but yeah, so effectively, yeah, just my two pence then um, with Chelsea. I think it's going to be a game about confidence. I think it'll be a, a, a hard-fought 1-0 uh, for one side or the other, and I'm going to actually lean towards us. I think if we manage to shake them at the beginnings, because we start off strong, it could be a 1-0 knockout. But let's see. Yeah, especially if we turn their home crowd against them. Yeah, definitely. I also because they rely on their wing backs. If we go play width, if we play, you know, strongly out wide, even if it is a Perez or even Albrighton, um, you know, nothing against it. But you know, even if just we use Albrighton on the right wing, it would just keep um, it will keep James uh, Reese James silent as well as um, uh, or Chilwell or whatever. Many of their many many fullbacks. Um, in fact, Chilwell will probably have his number. I imagine. I don't remember yeah. who said this, but I remember some coach talking about his tactical thoughts and his tactics before a game. He said he didn't want his winger to be having to track back and track someone's fullback like Reese James because Reese James is going to be full of running and we don't want our attackers to be occupied with having to deal with him because he's going to get forward. So he just passed the task onto one of the midfielders. I actually think James Justin and Reese James would be a really interesting battle. Yeah. Up our left side. I think it'll be a very interesting. I think they're both very physical. You're both obviously contenders for England. I think yeah, it could be interesting that side of the pitch. Sounds like a recipe for commentators' flubs there, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I think um We've covered about all we have got time for this week. I guess about just one last question before we go. Um, if your daughter started crying the moment we mentioned Chelsea, does that mean she is becoming a Tottenham fan? Um, I think it just makes her a decent human being, really. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I'm going to say goodbye <laughs> for this week. Uh, thank you for joining us, Lenny. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And we'll definitely bring you back at some point soon. Thank absolutely. you for joining us, Madlock. Yeah, absolutely. Always, uh, you know, th- yeah, thank you both. Thank you for running this H2 and yeah, Lenny. It was great to have you on. And uh, yeah. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. See you. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>
This podcast is released under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Find this license at creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by spelled by forward slash 4.0. Today's creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by forward slash 4.0. It also uses Riptide by Kevin McLeod. You can find that at incompetech.com. Licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. I heard that URL earlier. It also uses Elf Meditation, also by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. That music is licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license.